Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we are talking about the film How to Marry a Millionaire from 1953 with my distinguished guest and resident silly person, Jamie Lynn Beatty. Welcome, everyone. So I know I just did my intro, but a few things have changed since we recorded this podcast. This podcast that you're about to listen to was recorded in May of 2019. So this is an older podcast. I think there's a lot that's still relevant, but it was definitely it was definitely pre-COVID-19 world and pre a lot of things that have happened since. So take a time traveling trip back to May of 2019. What was it like then? I don't remember, but this is a, a relic of that time. Enjoy. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am Sarah Greenfield, and this is my guest, Jamie Lynn Beatty. And on this show, we are going to talk about all things classic and my love of classic things with thoroughly modern people who might want to learn something about all things classic. So I've never been called us. thoroughly modern. You before. are thoroughly modern. It was a little wink to thoroughly modern Millie. I, I you got know. the wink. I you got know. it. I got it. So what we did for our very first episode, we went to New Beverly Cinema. Shout out to them because they're doing a Women Directors and Screenwriters Month, which is excellent. And we saw How to Marry a Millionaire, which Jamie had never seen. And I really wanted her to see, so we saw it together. And now we're going to talk about it. Can I just say yeah. two things? It's funny that... A, when you called me thoroughly modern, yeah, we are truly thoroughly modern because I'm wearing like space age equipment yeah. talking about classic things. A perfect juxtaposition to what you're talking about. And also, Sarah has a fan. Can we share that right now really quickly? Hey, who's my fan? Your fan. Oh, my fan. <laughs> well, I'm like, your number one fan. fan. Your I number do. two fan. We, I was just it? saying because Sarah was like, it's hot in here. And she was literally fanning herself. And it's so appropriate that you have that. I do. Because you are truly... Like an old-fashioned gal. I am. I, I am a progressively-minded person who really appreciates the older things. So, yes, I always carry an actual <laughs> fan with me, and I always carry a piece of literature with me, and that's not a joke. I always have a book and a fan on me. Right now in my back, I have War and Peace because that's what we're reading in my classic literature book club. Just knowing you is like time traveling. <laughs> with like, like getting to meet. You said that when we were watching the movie yesterday and you were asking me questions about stuff, you were saying, um, it's like knowing someone who lived there and is here to tell me the tale, even though I know you didn't really live there. All right. So yeah, let's dive into the movie. Yeah. What did you think? What were your impressions? We should say what the movie's about first. Oh, yes. Yes. So, um, How to Marry a Millionaire. I already know this. I didn't have to look this stuff up, which is embarrassing. It's a 1953 film starring Lauren Bacall, Marilyn Monroe, and Betty Grable. And it's about three women who are sick of being poor and are very beautiful and want to marry a millionaire. So they come up with this plan to buy this gorgeous apartment and kind of hook the millionaires in there, getting them to think they're a certain kind of woman. And then they will get married to these millionaires and be happy forever that's the plot of the film ain't it girl's dream yeah and they have these really funny dreams in the picture uh, where lauren bacall falls asleep and she dreams of diamonds and i want that 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 and that and then the other girl falls asleep and dreams of being the wife of a sultan and she has like all these jewels and people waiting on her and then the third one dreams of a sandwich that was brilliant <laughs> they were really ahead of their time with that yeah one. they it were was that great. was really great well it's based on a story written by women 
So ah. it kind of, even though the screenplay was written by a man and it was directed by a man, the the story, the play, was written by women. Wow. So yeah, it had some little nods for us in there too, even though it was a little bit sexist. I should mention that as well. My love of classic things, I can appreciate that a lot of times it obviously is not great for people of color or women in general. And so what I like to do is I call it lovingly looking at it through the lens of history. I heard, I forget who said that. Someone said that, and that's kind of how I take it. You lovingly look at it through the lens of history. So yeah, you can kind of accept it for what it is and enjoy it for what it is. You know, clearly doesn't hold up today in terms of today we're in a time for women to be alive currently what's going on with all yeah yeah we, i don't even anyway. want to talk about that it's horrible um, but yeah <laughs> no the movie it's funny because yes it was very sexist obviously through today's lens but it did turn around spoiler at the end kind of and was like but you can be happy well it turned around twice kind of <laughs> but like the women got to a place where they were like more i was gonna say complacent but they're like happy with just marrying poor people and they're like happiness is what matters but then there's yeah. like a literal like double twist double twist at the end i'll save it but maybe you can infer what no it they can, we can talk about uh, it well, we go end, watch yeah. the movie first and then come listen That's to this true. so yeah is it so you go like I thought it had this redeeming, like, you don't need to marry a rich guy. And then they're like, but if you do, you're going to be happy about it. Well, I think they got rewarded. It was like sure. her good action of like marrying the guy she thought was poor and him turning out to be a millionaire. And But when I say her, I mean Lauren Bacall. The character is Shotzi Page. It's Lauren Bacall. That's one of the things I think I kind of like whispered to. I was being a little rude in the movie theater. Like I'd be like, is that so-and-so? Like I was talking during it. But um, so it's funny, like Lauren Bacall is like a name I've heard. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Betty Grable. Grable? Yeah, Grable. Grable. Do you want me to like tell you about them? Would that make you feel? Okay. Yeah. So basically everything I know I've learned from, I don't even know if I should say their name if I'm allowed to. Turner Classic Movies. I started watching it young and I just absorbed like everything that they told me. Um, So what I know about Lauren Bacall is that at 19, she did a cover for Harper's Bazaar and like a movie producer person saw it and was like, oh, let's make her a star. And they put her in a film with Humphrey Bogart to have and have not. And that was where she met Humphrey Bogart. And that's where they fell in love. And he's they the did one a bunch from of films together. Right? Yeah, he's from Casablanca, and the African queen. That was when they made that joke yesterday oh. when she was paired with the older man. And they're like, ew, he's, don't you think he's kind of old? And she's like, no, I love older guys because her husband was 25 years older than her in real life. Whoa. And they had a great romance and loved each other very much. Like, it's one of Hollywood's great romances. But, yeah, so Lauren Bacall. She's like a sex symbol, right? Yes. Yes, and I feel like she is a sex symbol, but she's smart. She's okay. She always plays, like, an intelligent woman. She's never a damsel in distress. Oh, okay. She's never really low class. She's always very smart and in control. And um, that comes across, especially in in all her films, but in her first film, she talked about how nervous she was. She has a famous line in that film where it's, you know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Oh, yeah. And that was the line that made her very famous. And she talks about how nervous she was and how she was keeping her head down and doing certain things. That's a sexy line. It's very sexy, but it came across. Even when she was very nervous, she came across as very in control and sexy. Like Catherine Hepburn. Yep. I would say for me, Catherine Hepburn isn't, well, I don't, I don't want to put this on anyone, but I don't think Catherine Hepburn is as like sexy as Lauren Bacall. Mm. You know, she, but she's, they're both very powerhouse, very strong women. Yes. I love that. We have that. And then Betty Grable's story is that she is more of, I don't want to say a chorus girl, but she was like the big pinup girl of the army and like the war in the 1940s. So she's famous for her pinup pose and like every single soldier had her pinup in their barracks. Is that the like one leg? 
up. Um, like, what do you mean her the one pose? from behind. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, that's one of the poses. But it's uh, she was famous from behind. She was famous for her legs. Ooh. And I, the first time I ever saw her in a film, and I know she did films before this, but the way I'm familiar with her um, is she was in this Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers film where she did a song called Let's Canock Knees, and it was, like, showing her legs a lot. And it was a very cute, fun number. So Betty Grable's very fun and very, a lot like the character she played. We're very beautiful, yeah. of the people, you know, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. not coming off too bright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still fun. You still like her, you know? And then obviously we have Marilyn Monroe. What a delight. Which is, you know, we all know her story. But this, so you had said yesterday, I'm talking so much. No, it's fine. You know um, all the, you have a wealth of knowledge that I don't. This, uh, you had said yesterday, I think this is the first movie I've really seen her in. Yeah. You know? And I looked back and remembered, I saw this probably for the first time when I was 13 or 14. And I think this was my first full taste of Marilyn Monroe. And it's such a good introduction because we all have this idea of her as being this sex symbol. Right. And so to see her be so brilliant in a comedy. Yes. It, it, you just you love her so much yeah <laughs> she's it so made great because yeah that's like it's funny that there's this like uninformed like zeitgeist image of Marilyn Monroe that I had where I was just like oh yeah she's the one with like the sexy mole who like her skirt gets like blown up and she pushes it down and like that's the image I have I know she's famous but I don't really know why she's famous beyond like singing happy birthday to John F. Kennedy yep. did that really happen that did, but it was way later. Okay. You know, that happens in the 60s, and this is like 1953, and this is the year of her big break. This yeah. is like, she'd been in a lot of things before, but this was the same year that Gentlemen Prefer Blondes came out, right. and it came out right before this, and they actually reference it in the film. They make a line about diamonds are a girl's best oh, friend. Oh, yes. Right? That's one and of the pink dress, like the film. Yeah, so like- that's her famous number, oh. and that happened this year earlier in the year before this film was released. So, yeah, that's like a very interesting thing. And then also this year, Niagara came out. So this is her first year of like starring roles in films. Wow. And so this was her breakout year. Yeah, it was fun, like you said, to see her comedy because you can tell there's like, these are, I'm just thinking of all the like go-to Marilyn Monroe like points of knowledge. Like I know like her connection to Arthur Miller and like coming from like, Stella Adler so I was like she's an actor but then I loved like seeing her be like a smart comedian too yeah. and play this role so yeah Marilyn Monroe I get it yeah, now I get it <laughs> but it's so great that you put it that way because she's she is a smart comedian playing yeah. it dumb yes she's doing Which is such a good job at it so crucial yeah she was really she great was in delightful. this movie you, it was it was funny I go like I fell for it because like you you're on you're on screen with all these great actors and your eyes automatically go to her not even just from like an aesthetic perspective but you just like you want to watch her because she's like her eyes are just very expressive yeah, and like she has great reactions yes yeah. yes I get it I, I drink the Marilyn Monroe Kool-Aid I'm so glad you said that but there was like a button at the end of one scene where they stayed a second longer than they had to just because she she was doing something really interesting and had like a funny eye movement at the yes. very end of a scene yes. Although they did have some weird things in the film of like shots that were a lot longer than they needed to be. Like they showed us that propeller of a plane for so long. And oh, I was yeah. like, why are we looking at the propeller of a plane? Is it because planes are new and this is exciting? I should know that. But th- there were little things like that that I was like, I think this is taking longer than it should for these little random things. That's a complaint I shouldn't even be making. Who cares? No, about I loved it. But you said something earlier that made me think, I think one of the reasons that this film does resonate with women and why we like it is because maybe if it had been all men behind it entirely, the women would not have resonated with these characters. We, we see their faults. We yeah. see them as more complete people. Like, we understand why they think that the only way they can be happy is to be rich. That's mm-hmm. kind of what's going on in, you know, that time. Mm-hmm. But they each are complete people on their own. 
mm-hmm. and they we see the unattractive things about them that they might have normally hidden if it was a movie where they were like the objects, the images. Yes, totally. Yeah, they were very in control of their own destiny and they were like playing into the damsel in distress thing a little bit, which was like smarter than just being a damsel in distress. And also I will say, I think I mentioned this like when you first, or this style of movie reminds me of the same reason I watched something like The Real Housewives or it's that like escapism. Like I think yeah. a lot of gals like to watch things that have sparkly like fashion montages and jewelry only because like while as a feminist you go like it's fun to still be able to indulge in those like very feminine things but then also be able to be like I'm still an independent woman but I can enjoy like silk and organza and we get like the beautiful apartment that they're in right we get their gorgeous clothes they look stunning all the time even in their sleeping scene when they have like full makeup on you know yeah they always look stunning and it is a very gorgeous escape and then we get to see the city too like the fun city living and they even sing that song in the beginning I can't believe I blocked up that's such a a rip off of New York New York and it sounded like it had the guys and Dalsy in an on the towny mix it was so random the opening of the whole film is like a three minute long orchestra conducted by Alfred Newman playing his like score that he wrote called like street scene or something like that it sounds a lot like guys and dolls it sounds a lot like on the town and then you just watch that for like three minutes and then they go into the film and then they're like they have this weird quartet that's singing about New York that's like, New York, New York, it's a great place. That's not how it goes. But if they do that and they show you the whole city while they're singing this kind of cheesy song before we even get to the plot or like anything going on. When the movie started and it was the orchestra, like the first minute I was like, cool. And then like a minute and a half. And I literally was like, did Sarah say that we were watching a movie? I was like, maybe she said it was like a concert version of the movie where we're just going to listen to the soundtrack and for a while I was like I don't know if I can sit through this whole thing (laughs) if it's I mean like yeah I'm not one to uh, here I'll say it on the record like I don't love like concerts like I get a little bored just watching musicians sorry to any musicians no I I understand I get it because I came for a movie especially one that was like supposed to be like decadent and I was like are we just gonna watch this (laughs) so I was unfortunately like pleased when the movie started the music was great but yeah well okay and part of the thing is that what was interesting for me about that one how could I have blocked that out of my head I've seen this movie probably 10 times and I genuinely forgot that that was there something that I thought was interesting about it because I was also trying to like find my entertainment during these moments I thought it was cool the way they moved the camera around like trying to make it interesting that way but for me Alfred Newman I didn't really know who he was till more recently I saw again I I'm the same I've seen so many classic films I love these things and didn't even clock Alfred Newman a couple years ago I saw the John Williams concert that they do at the Hollywood Bowl every year and the opening act was all Alfred Newman music And that was like the first time I had really heard him or heard of him and became a fan. And his great, I think it's his great nephew, maybe one of his relatives that's alive now is a composer and a violinist and he conducted it himself. And it was really cool to hear, but like that was when I first heard of Alfred Newman and became a fan of his work. So for me, that was interesting just to have seen his name before it. And have them be like the Alfred Newman Orchestra so I could appreciate it while it was happening and have context. Because if I didn't have context, I'd be like, oh, my God, who is this? What is this? What is going on? I probably felt that way in the past. You know, (laughs) that's really funny. Now I feel like an ass for being like, don't 
don't at all because it is kind of boring. Like you're sitting there watching an orchestra for three minutes. So but they were great. They were great. They were wonderful. Wait, can I just say because you brought this up and yes. I, this is something I was really excited to talk about. So I'm from New York City, and one of my favorite things in the world, passion I enjoy stumbling upon, is old photos of New York and just like even like an old old footage of New York even if it's from like the 90s like there's something it's just because it's my home city but also just because it's such a magnificent city in general like it was so cool to see that footage yeah and like I feel like correct me if I'm wrong a lot of movies Hollywood movies that take place in New York are filmed on sound stages it's true um Okay, as again, to put an on-the-town thing in, most of on-the-town was not filmed in New York, though it's set in New York. Mm-hmm. And, well, there were moments that... The, Ann Miller got the girls that were in that film sent to New York to do the final shot because the boys were getting sent to New York to do all these random shots, but the girls weren't going to get to because they had all filmed on the soundstage and she said, absolutely not, we're going to New York. So there's the last shot of the movie of them waving goodbye to the men and um, that was actually filmed in New York and Ann Miller got those women to New York because of that. But yeah, a lot of those, most of that film was not shot in New York. They just did certain scenes in just a couple days. Yeah. It was one of those things where I was like, I'm used to seeing New York on film, but like it was, I wonder, I, was, I remember thinking like, is this the first film shot on location in New York City? Maybe that's a dumb I don't. Thing. I don't know. That's a really know. good it question. Just looked, it, I had never seen that clear film footage of like 1950s New York. Or if there is more, I want to see more I think more that there it. is. I'm I, sure. You know, but I don't know. I, that's like a really good question. Just like the street scenes. Because like you think about how much like hoopla it takes to film in New well, York. Because I think it was just, they didn't do any of the actresses in New York. I think it was all just those beautiful shots of the Empire State Building. B-roll. And, yeah, I think it was B-roll, but it was still beautiful. It was so beautiful. I could watch like hours of that. Forget an orchestra. I'll just watch hours Do you love that one moment where you leaned over to me in the movie? And it was something I had never thought about before. There's one point in the film where Betty Grable's character... Oh. Is, or no, it's Marilyn Monroe's character. She is going to fly from New York City to Atlantic City, which is in New Jersey. Uh-huh. And you leaned over and you're like, why would she fly there? It would be faster to drive. Like, who flies to Atlantic City? It's like an hour drive away. And the fact that she's been on the plane for hours and doesn't realize her flight isn't going to Atlantic City. Oh, plot twist. Or that's plot a spoiler. Twist. Spoiler. Yeah. She ends up with the man whose apartment they're staying and he's in trouble with the IRS and is fleeing and he's trying to find the man that like got him in trouble with the IRS and she, oh, we even forgot to mention this. I guess I need to learn about podcasting. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe's character is totally blind. She can't see anything. Oh. And so she has that really great plot with the glasses and she ends up falling for a man who has glasses who convinces her to wear her glasses so she can see everything. The glasses thing, that plays into her like comedic timing too. Like it that was, was great. Her little like clowning stuff with not being able to see. There's so, there are so many things that you just mentioned that I want to like unpack that you just said. Let's go for it. Tell me everything. <laughs> oh, as a seasoned four eyes I'm wearing contacts now but that's like I wear contacts once a week at most but I wear glasses I have four pairs of them I'm like a glasses wearing friend and they were like really going at it with like girls who wear glasses and just people who wear glasses they were like oh I shudder to think I'd ever be a person who wore glasses and they were like I'd never be a four eyes like their lives are the worst and like it was just like twist of the knife on every like thing of like how bad it is to be a person who wears glasses and so that was like a funny cultural reference but it was especially funny because the second Marilyn Monroe's character popped on screen I was like I love 
love her glasses. And I was they're like, really cute. Yeah. And glasses are so in now too, but yeah, they're so cute. So it was just funny. Like I was like, is that a cultural thing? Like, I think so. Yeah. You didn't want to be labeled like a spinster or, <laughs> and this is what's so sad. There is one point where Lauren Bacall's character literally says the best thing a woman can do in her, with her life is to get married. Oh yeah. That oh. broke my heart. I think everyone audibly let out a cackle in the theater. There were a few moments where we went, Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, because I would love to think of that movie now. Now she would be like the CEO of a company. And wouldn't be how to marry a millionaire. It'd be like how to become a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. Yeah. They're like, she's the smartest woman I know. They keep saying it. And she came up with this really great plan. And she followed through with it. But let's be real. She also allowed for the real thing to come through when she needed it. And it, she ended up becoming rich by marrying. That's true. Man, that's a really good point I didn't even think of that. I was like, she's so savvy. She, if anyone... By the way, she's Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall in this thing is the, the brains of the operation. Yeah, she's so... And they keep saying, like, she's so smart and savvy to come up with this. It was a good plan. And she, they, like, she explains the plan that she hatched, which is if you want to marry a millionaire, like, you'll never find one just being a pauper on the street. If you want to meet them, you have to, like, live in their habitat. And so that's yeah. why they get... At this rich apartment. I was so hoping at the beginning too, it didn't, it never happened. I wanted them to say how much she bought the apartment for because I wanted to have it, that it chuckle. Was, um, she paid first and last month's rent, and then at the end of the year, the rent person was going to collect the rest of the money. How much was so it? So she put down 2000 which in 1953. 2000 a month for a penthouse? No, it was 1000 a month. <gasps> so it was 1000 a month. I know, for a penthouse. Oh I know, my I know. God. It was a fully furnished penthouse. Fully furnished penthouse. On the Upper West Side, like overlooking Central Park, yes. with like a balcony that was like the size of my apartment. Yeah. A thousand dollars a month. That was what she was worried about when those two girls leave her. She says, I'm going to be on the hook for a full year of rent. Right, right, right. No, wait, counting for inflation, what would that, I don't expect Oh, I don't know. This. I, I know classics, not numbers. I want to know. Can we look up what it would be like millions, right? I don't know. A thousand dollars in 1953. Cause like what a ham sandwich was like 10 cents, right? Even less. A ham sandwich would about like five cents, maybe even less than that. I don't, I don't even know. How much did they, there's a point in the movie where they sell a piano. Do you remember how much they sold the piano yes, for? Yes, they sold it for $250. Are you sure it wasn't $2,500? Oh, that's wrong. It was $2,500. You're 100% right. Okay. So I have a piano. Did you find it? What is it? For a penthouse in New York? That makes sense. I think it would be more than that. Well, I do think it would be more than that, but it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Would you say 8,400? 8,571. Okay. A month. Or a month, yeah. Plus utilities. It was a fully furnished apartment. But again, they got it because of the guy fleeing from the IRS who had to unload it quickly. Oh, that's why they got all the furniture. Because I was like, she's selling this guy's furniture. And that's why when he came in and it was empty and he kind of had the where's, huh, what's going on? And then he came back and it was fully furnished again because the millionaire repaid for everything. Oh, I have to admit, sometimes when I watch movies, I'll miss key little plot points because I space out and I start going like, oh, her dress is nice. I like the color of that fabric. (laughs) And then I miss, like, I miss that whole IRS. To be fair, I have seen this more than you have. I have seen this more than one time. Over my life, I've probably seen this film about 10 times. I'm going to catch more just because I've seen it I am, though, a distracted viewer. I also do want to bring up William Powell, who's in it. Who is that? He was the one, the the millionaire that Lauren Bacall was going to marry, like the kind man who was a little bit older than her. Oh, yes. Who actually, like, that would have been a good match, but it wasn't a love match for her because she's in love with the gas station attendant who's not really a gas station Mm -hmm. attendant who's a millionaire, but we don't know that till the end. He plays, I forget his name, it's like J.D. something. 
and he's the millionaire. And William Powell is a very famous actor from the 20s, 30s, 40s. I, I, I just love seeing, whenever he's on film, I love seeing him. He's such a delight because his presence for me, I mean, he's in some of my favorite older I films. I think if I've seen him in anything, I didn't. Have you ever seen The Thin Man? He, his like big heyday would have been the late 30s, early 40s. Hmm. And he did a lot of these really great screwball comedies. And he pairs really well with Myrna Loya. I can't, they've done a lot of pictures together, but they were kind of America's perfect couple. Oh, so you call them pictures? I call them pictures. The old timey pictures. <laughs> he was able to be dignified but silly and intelligent and very likable. Mm. It's funny, I forget him. He's forgettable. <laughs> but to me, he's such a comfort to see because when I see him, I think of all of his films from the past that I really loved him in. So for me, he's like a very welcome presence. It's interesting how, so like compared to the movie stars today, there's so many movie stars today. And I feel like, especially for women, there's like a short lived being America's sweetheart. And then it's somebody like, I don't know, like do we, are we still like all about Jennifer Lawrence? Is she like still, or has her day passed? I don't think her day has passed, but I see, I know what you mean. There's such a quick turnover. Turnover, with... that's what I mean. And back then, I feel like there was less of a turnover. Like there were more, then again, I don't know because I'm looking at it. Well, I guess there, you could f- be bankable for longer, but at the same time, people had to overcome things. Like um, Catherine Hepburn for a while, like we deem her as this huge movie star, right? But in the late 1930s, she was deemed box office poison. Like so many of her films had tanked at that point. And so because she ended up coming out with a Philadelphia story and forcing, like she would not do that picture unless she was in Wait, it. Wait, is the Philadelphia story the one about AIDS? Uh, no, no. Oh, that's, that's Philadelphia. Philadelphia. <laughs> but great connection. That was in 1993. But no, the Philadelphia story was 1940 and it saved her career and brought her back. And it was this film, she had done the play of it on Broadway because no one would put her in films anymore because they thought she was poison. She got her buddy Cary Grant to be in it with her. What do you mean poison? They would not put her in any pictures for a minute because they- Was she like communist? No, she wasn't communist. She, her films don't make any money. So she won the Academy Award really young in her career from Morning Glory. Did a bunch of films, but a lot of them started to do really badly. Like Bringing Up Baby, we view it as a classic today. It was a bomb in the theater. Nobody saw it. It made no money. No one would put her in things. Wasn't Citizen Kane also like a bomb? I don't know that it was a... Because it got nominated for Best Picture that year. It's a movie that really holds up and is wonderful. But yeah, so she ended up having a very long career, but she did stumble for a minute and have to pick herself up and get herself seen. And she did that with fortitude and by saying, this is my project. I believe in this project. We're doing this project. And that project saved her. That's awesome. So like... It's funny for me because I don't have the reference of their careers and like the longevity of them. I go like, who are the people that have like sifted through society who like are lasting famous people for me? The names that stick out, even though I haven't seen them, like I go like Lauren Bacall, I've heard that name. Catherine Hepburn, I've heard that name. Judy Garland, Marilyn Monroe. That's kind of where the buck stops. I couldn't even tell you many movies or even more than two that any of those people have been in. But it's funny that like I still have the cultural reference. So I wonder now, people who 50 years from now when Sarah and Jamie like 3.0 are sitting here talking what actors or actresses will they know just culturally this is actually what I want to explore with this show there's so many gems that are deeper than this that we have lost along the way in the 70s we could say Jill Clayburgh for me Barbara Stanwyck is the greatest thing ever and most people don't they, they know about her, some, some people, but a lot of people don't. So that's kind of what I want to do with this series is yeah. explore classic things that I love with people who want to like learn more about classic things. And I want to learn more too. So it's, that's what I would like to do with this series. Do we have anything else we want to say before we wrap it up here? I want to ask you so many questions. <laughs> I feel like we didn't even hit the, what is it? Scratch the surface. Scratch the surface. 
what movie would you recommend I watch next? With this movie, I would pair it with Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. I would go full Marilyn Monroe on it just because it's around the same time, similar themes. So I think that would be a very nice pairing and it's the same year. So that's what I would pair with this. Um, Maybe next time we'll do like a noir or something and we can talk about Lauren Bacall or anything else like that. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes paired with How to Marry a Millionaire. It's the perfect mix of sexism. Yeah. But also like women are the stars of them. Yeah. You know, and the women are be, are empowered in those situations, even though it is sexist. But at the same time, it's at least about women. At least we see women from their own perspectives. And I will say I was pleasantly surprised to see that for as, as cheesy and sexist of a title the movie had, I didn't think that they were airhead frivolous women we I saw actually, their real their selves full yeah their yeah, full characters full betty grable's character was a little tacky and a little classless mm-hmm. but we loved her mm-hmm. all right well and on that note not to say betty grable was tacky and classless just the character named loco and before we do leave i wanted to notice oh my god in the film her name is loco and then when she falls in love with that ranger she keeps saying it's i you know i'm crazy in love with you i'm crazy about you and i i never paired that together before that her name is loco which means crazy and she's crazy about that guy so they're meant to be together that's really cute yeah i also loved it when she got measles yes because that's very relevant (laughs) it is see everything goes back around (laughs) full circle (laughs) All right. And with that, thank you so much for listening to our first episode of what did I call this show? I don't even remember. Talk Classic Classic to to me. me.